This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And yes, we are back with you to talk about movies and films. What's happening? Uh, well, you've got some weather happening. Yes. Oh, I, m- I might say... Um, there could be a chance that you will hear a giant clap of thunder uh, at least once during this episode. There's a thunderstorm happening right now as we're recording. So how how lovely, how natural. Yes, my dog is actually shivering under the Aww. desk right now. Oh, yes. I don't blame you, Sophie. I don't blame you. I know. She actually was like a later in life thunderstorm scaredy cat. Look, it ha- things weird things happen to us as we age. You you might be like, you know what? I'll drive all day, every day, everywhere. And then you turn 40 and you're like, I'm not driving at night. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. And uh, she also hates car washes, too. Which Aww. I just found out. Which you just found out, like, the yeah. hard way. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I was, like, going through the car wash and I'd be like, what's going on? Why are you, like, curled up in a little ball with, like, all your hackles up and shaking violently it's like it must be that car wash sound who knows car washes Um, are kind of a a strange it's a very strange sensation and visual for dogs and the elderly like i take my grandma through the car wash sometimes and she's just like huh (laughs) like what (laughs) what why one why are you taking me through this and two why It's like, because, you know, car washes now have like lights and colors. <laughs> and yeah. It's like a fucking club in there. I know. It totally is. Do you ever, do you have like friends that will make a car wash an Instagram story where I'm like, come on. Really? Uh, instantly fo- forward. I can't anymore. <laughs> the first time it was cool 10 years ago. And now I'm like, no. Unless Statham comes through and punches you through the fucking roof of your car, then I don't want to see it. Chev Chelios is on fucking fire <laughs> walking down the length of the car wash i want to see it oh my god they listen they've got so many like fucking pop-ups these days if they had a chev chelios themed car wash in la i would move back <laughs> the end of story that's all it would take that's all it takes for you I'd, i'll be back <laughs> make it happen oh my goodness i have a, a car a little driving story oh do you want me to tell Ooh. you first i'll tell you a little cute a cute fact about my town. Every once in a while, I'll pepper these in um, for you. But the the mayor of my town, Michael Newhard, also owns the gift shop in town. And he has owned it for like decades. And all of my friends work there in high school. And it's very sweet. He's a very Aww. nice man. That's but a very I, Gilmore Girls-esque scenario. Right? It's very It's a very cute little town. So I had to go there to get a gift for someone. And it was at night and it was before daylight savings time so it was dark at like you know 4 30 so i go and get this this gift and i'm driving home and i decide to get dinner 
because I'm like, ah, you know, I still don't have a kitchen, like, and I don't feel like eating, like, you know, ramen or whatever yeah. I can make in my little toaster oven any- today. Like, every once in a while, I'm just like, I've had enough. I need a meal. Yes. So I went to my local, one of the local restaurants in town, and I got, I ordered, <laughs> I ordered a salad, and they do this thing called a Thanksgiving roll, which is like a turkey stuffing cranberry egg roll almost. Mm. And it's delicious. And I mm. crave them and I have to stop myself from getting them every day. So I go and place the order and I put it in my car and I have my mask on, of course. And I get home and I realize this smells too delicious. This is not what I ordered. So I look in the bag and it's two burgers. And I was like, this is not a salad and an egg roll at all. <laughs> so I what? call the restaurant and I'm like, I don't know whose order I have, but it's not the one that I called in. And she says, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, we have your order here. And I said, well, I'll just drive back. Like, I'll just drive the food back. Okay. So it's dark now, pitch black. I drive back. I get my order. And as I'm driving down the street back to my house, I see this dog like often kind of like in my line of vision on the right. And I'm like, oh, like people walk their dogs at night. I see this all the time. And then the thing launches in front of my car and it wasn't a dog. It was a deer. Wow. So I slam on the brakes and out loud to no one, I still cannot believe this was my reaction, but out loud to no one as this thing is like sauntering in front of my car, I scream out, no, I thought you were a dog. You're a deer. <laughs> like, what is this thing going to like? <laughs> going to shapeshift into a dog just because I wanted it to be one? <laughs> this thing is like, just stands in front of your windshield and is like, listen, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, don't set up these high expectations for me. You know, I am a deer. And I, and I hate to say that to you right now, but, you know, I know you're expecting a dog. I'm a deer. Yeah, and it's like chewing grass, and it looked at me, and it was going real slow, because deer just run this joint, and they know it. Right. And it was like, what? What do you want? Like, yeah, we're deer, and now we're in town. We used to live in the woods, and then you built houses all over the woods, so now we're here. <laughs> like, what? And, and you I was just like, feed ah, us. Like, yeah, and you, you throw apples at us all the time, <laughs> so now we're here. It was like a little deer parade in front of my car, and I just literally screamed out no i thought you were a dog you're a deer it felt like i was having like a senior moment or something like i was just laughing at myself because i'm like why is that my reaction i see deer around here all the time but for some reason like in the confusion of the evening and like me getting the wrong meal and i was hungry and i wanted to get home and i'm like oh a dog no you're a deer (laughs) (laughs) what what well, what would it have been like if it was a dog? You would just if been like, a, chill. If it was a keep, dog. Keep it moving, sir. I respect yeah, you. I 100%. see you. I know your rights. We've talked about this. There are laws to protect you. And I would have opened the door and let him in and been like, Let's, where do you live? Let's go. <laughs> what, do you, what do you need? You need a ride? <laughs> Get in here, motherfucker. Get on in. I would have gotten out and, and pet the dog and played with it. Wow, uh, that's bold. A- actually, that's a that's a bold move. I'm just gonna know, say I, that right now. I, I genuinely have friends who have been bitten because they pet they were petting a strange dog like in front of a CVS or something. Oh yeah, I've been bitten by a dog twice, twice in <laughs> my lifetime. Oh yeah, what? twice in my lifetime. Fucking sucked. Once oh, was my- at work. I got bit 
buy a dog when I worked at a thrift store. How the fuck does that happen? I don't know. Wait, what? That dog was oh, like, yeah. this is too expensive. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like one of those jobs where it was like, yeah, a little tiny little, you know, baby dog, like a little chihuahua or something like that. And it was sitting in the arms of this lady that was paying. I used to work at a thrift store and I used to uh, work the register. And yeah. basically I went to like, she, she did the thing where she's like, Oh, I've got a dog in my arm. So I can't move my arm normally to get the money out of my wallet. I'm like, fucking don't carry the dog. Right. You like, have a you transaction to make. Right. Yeah. You can plan so for this. as she's, she did one of these things where she, she took her hand and then like took the money out of the, her wallet with like one hand and then, put the dollar bill or whatever the fuck it was. I was like, it was no money. It was like $5 and kind of like floated it to me, like kind of halfway. (laughs) And so I reached for her money and her dog bit me. Damn. Yes. And then she got the fuck out of there real fast. I was going to say, what was her reaction? She was like, ooh, sorry. Okay. See ya. Thanks. (laughs) And you mean while your hand is just dripping blood down your (laughs) Yes. Yes. And at the time, I mean, I was young and stupid. I was basically like, well, I guess my work is going to pay for me to go to the hospital. Hell no. They they were like, oh, you had to clock out before you go to the hospital. I was like, fuck you. Like you have you you have to clock out before you go to the hospital is the most American phrase that exists today. motherfuckers I, i'll never forget that shit and i was like oh, truly uh, the, i was like my days were numbered after that shit happened i was like no way like, i, I got it. bit by a fucking dog as occupational hazard didn't even know that was a was a thing you're like let me see do i want to risk my safety and personal health for a tag sale probably yes. not no. <laughs> so <laughs> in my in my mind you just like opening a door to a stray dog on the side of the road. Be like, come on in. I'll take you home. Where are you going? You just need to ride into the next town. You're going to Dunkin' Donuts. What's going on? That's bold to me. Where Where do you live? New Jersey? I can take you to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get here? What was your day like? <laughs> are you here for the Apple Festival too? I should have known. <laughs> well, I just, I get so nervous when I see loose animals on the yeah. street. Cause I'm like, if I'm a nice person and I would stop for you and pick you up and, you know, buy you a mocha, but yeah. a lot of people will just like run you over or, and keep going. I just get so nervous. So I'm like, well, I'll help. I'll, I'll be the person to help you out. And most animals, trust me, do not want it. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many, especially in LA, how many times I've seen a loose dog and just been like, oh shit, I'll pull over. I got to help. And then the dog is like, fuck you. And like, pisses on my shoe and runs away like they don't want the help they're like i'm loose i'm free you cannot trap me this is not going to be some fucking 12 years of slave shit where you're gonna fucking put me in your car and then all of a sudden i'm living at the goddamn aspca they're like no they don't want it they don't want the help but i stop every time just in case one is like you know what yeah i've had a lo- like a weary dog is just like you know i've had a long day i'll take that yeah. ride <laughs> my my parents where they live in florida they have a lot of loose turtles there's just oh, like wow. turtles crossing the road all the time. And um, you always see somebody who will pick up the turtle from the middle of the road and put it on the side. Every time you see their little legs, like free, they're like, get off me. Don't fucking. It's like they're on dynasty. They're like, get your filthy stinking hands off me. Like, I will not be subject to your 
your whims, <laughs> sir. Like they're just like constantly like flailing around that. I, it's like, it's a good move. Like I always think, okay, good. I'd rather like have somebody hold up traffic to move a turtle than have it be smashed or whatever. But yeah. it is funny. Cause you know, the turtles going, get your filthy stinking hands off me. Well, also the turtles, like it took me a year to get that far across the road. Yes. Like you just, you just set me back by a month. <laughs> Like, it took me all goddamn day to get off this curb, and now you just put me back? Well, you're, God bless you for caring about animals, and even though you were fooled, the deer fooled you once again into thinking it was a dog. It was actually a deer. Oh, the deer around here are constantly, constantly surprising me. Constantly. You know what else is constantly surprising me? What's that? It's our mailbag. <gasps> Definitely. <laughs> we, ha- we have got a mailbag this week for you. We sure do. And I got to say, I'm so excited to talk to both of these people. Same. Um, yes, yes, yes. We're, we're very excited. I've been w- trying to get him on the podcast for a while now. We'd like to introduce our guest for this mailbag. He is the host of the wonderful podcast well actually multiple podcasts but he does a a great podcast for the new beverly cinema in la uh alongside his co-host elric kane uh it's called the pure cinema podcast i've been a guest on there many times and they're just doing good good work and he's also the host of this equally amazing podcast called just the discs that's basically all about physical media and We are also blessed to have his daughter, who uh, is a big fan of the podcast. We've mentioned her many times. I'd like to introduce our guest today, Brian Sauer and Raven. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Welcome. Say hi. I did say (laughs) (laughs) She's like, Dad, you're already harsh in my vibe. <laughs> so happy to be here. We are, yes, both big fans. Uh, and, and you know, Millie, obviously, I know you. We've had you on Pure Cinema, and it's been great. You're yeah. one of our absolute favorite guests. And oh, Danielle, awesome. I'm a big fan of yours as well because of the show. It's so great to meet you. And, and Raven and I, it's our daily ritual. I drive her to school on Wednesdays and Fridays, and we listen to the show. And that's our drive to school you know that's our regular thing that oh my gosh. makes us so happy and i can't say enough how happy i am to meet both of you and to have you both on the show <laughs> and raven i know we, we mentioned this in a podcast um in an episode a while back but since neither millie or i have children we're just so grateful for the chance to corrupt someone else's child <laughs> <laughs> like, i thought i was gonna miss out on that but i'm not <laughs> Nope. She's plenty corrupted uh, from my hand, but also... (laughs) I was going to say, you you have to be pretty cool. Like, uh, honestly, like, we love uh, the idea that you listen to the pod and, like, that you're a fan of movies and your dad is such a fan of movies and it seems like you uh, guys share that passion together, which I love so much. So we're so happy that you're here and... What, so, like, can we ask you a few questions, Raven? Because we're just curious about, like, what type of movies you like and, you know, like, how did you get into movies? Is just sitting around with your dad so often that it just kind of, like, imprints it on you? Like, how did it happen? <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been watching movies with my dad for a very long time, uh, yeah. but he also traumatized me by watching The Gate once when I was, like, four. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> I rewatched it. It was not scary at all. 
<laughs> we we have our own traumatic experiences because neither of our parents had any rules for movies. <laughs> so we watched things way too young as well, but it made us awesome. So you're on a good path. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell them that you recently asked to watch The Gate I again? did. Yeah, I said, uh, I rewatched you... it again and it was not scary at all, actually. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> I remember it a lot differently. See, so you, yeah. you have to revisit films so you can do your own healing. That's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah. As a parent, I've definitely made some mistakes uh, with, with the movies. It happens from time Agreed. to time. Yeah, you agree? Okay, thank you. Uh, I really like stop motion animation uh, movies. They're some of my favorites. Oh, uh, yeah. so do you like do you like the old stuff, like the Ray Harryhausen stuff? Like, what what do you what do you uh, like? She hasn't seen as much of that, but like, yeah. I do. You, I don't Mad know if you know Party. the movie uh, Mad Monster Party. I really oh, love that movie. Come on, of course I do. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie so much. <laughs> That's such a great movie. Oh, beautiful. So and do cool. you, do you watch movies with your friends or? Unfortunately, a, not a lot of my friends are like movie nerds, like some of the people in my family. But mm. they do know a few of the movies that I watch, but they're mostly new movies. Ooh, yeah. do that, does that mean you get a chance to like introduce people to movies? I guess a little bit. Um, I introduced one of my friends to uh, Monster in Paris. It's not really that old of a movie, but it's a really good movie. Nice. Yeah. That's a that's a service. Oh, that's fantastic. I think it's really cool that you you just kind of have your own style already like you're very <laughs> composed and smart and funny and you just totally have your own style and i love that it just shines through in every every part of you it's just really wonderful to see thank you so much um another one of my favorite movies is uh Coraline. i've watched that movie for such a long time i love that movie so much i, I have the i have it. the original book for that movie oh cute i love it excellent i saw that movie in 3d Nice. And it freaked me out so much, even though I'd read the book and I, I knew the story. But every time those needles came out towards the <laughs> screen oh. or the buttons were going on, I was like, oh, gosh, I was really freaked out much more than I thought I would be. Um, but it's such a great film. Yeah, I love Coraline so much. And I've always said to my dad that there should be a second one. She keeps, yes. reading, she keeps reading online. There's some rumor that they're going to do a second movie and I can't find verification of it and i want to but like she's like dad i saw it online i know it's happening i'm like honey i don't know if it's happening but i really want it to happen so this is like she, she's reading the trades she's reading the trades already <laughs> like she's what's the rumors about the the sequels <laughs> this is this is the first lesson and don't trust the internet <laughs> like there yeah. there may never be a Coraline too <laughs> we hope we hope there is we'll see i i said that if it never happens i'll have to make one myself yeah <gasps> yeah exactly. that is the energy i love to hear like i'll just do it you won't do it i'll do it <laughs> yeah because I, I was gonna ask you do you have any interest in like making movies or studying movies one day or like you know is it just um, a passion it's definitely a passion because yeah, i think that if i ever made movies they probably wouldn't be that good okay. uh unfortunately mm. uh but i used to make stop motion animation videos with some of my toys sometimes <gasps> But that was kind of it. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> like that is a lot that you've done your own stop motion already. And there's so <laughs> many different jobs in so many different parts of movies. So you don't have to do exactly, you know, you don't have to be a director. You don't have to be a a, you, a writer. You could do so many different things, especially if you're into animation. <laughs> uh, Sky's I the would, limit. Yeah, <laughs> I would consider myself an artist. I do draw a lot. Um, 
I think I'm getting better. Yes, you are. That was that was one of my other questions is like, what are your other hobbies or what? how else do you like to spend your time, especially the past few years? We've all been kind of housebound. I definitely draw a lot and I've been writing a little bit. Cool. That's so exciting. What are you writing? Is it like journaling or just writing stories? Um, or? Or, uh, for my English class, we're supposed to write a never ending story. And I've definitely, since we've been doing that, I've been writing more and I wrote one uh, uh, and I have like... 20 pages on it so wow okay i'm a professional writer you've already written more than most people i know on a (laughs) day-to-day basis (laughs) like it's like it's like pulling teeth to get someone to write a page of a script so you're already doing great but i also had to i restarted so i did one first and i got to like 15 pages and then i I did another one and i got to 20 because i didn't like the other you threw the whole 15 pages out you didn't tell me this part well i didn't throw it out i just never i just stopped writing okay. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> you can return no, to I'm, it no worries exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly oh this is so exciting we're, we're gonna we're gonna try to send you a little a little present so now we now we know what some of the hobbies are then we can <laughs> we can really dig in and get you some fun stuff oh, yeah. thank, thank you. you so much like we truly are just so so happy every time we hear that you listen to the podcast and that you like it and we were definitely um I don't know, Millie and I were kind of weird teens and wish we had kind of people like us to listen to <laughs> and talk to. Yeah. So you can reach out to us anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, if my parents liked movies at all, I'd probably be like a different person. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're so lucky to have such a, a cool dad and a, a cool family that supports what you do. So we're so excited. Sure. Do, do you want to hang out while we like read this letter that we got from one of our listeners and maybe your dad can uh answer it a little bit or at least we can talk about it will you hang out for that sure awesome cool well um brian so we we obviously brought you in (laughs) as an expert on this because we got this (laughs) letter from one of our listeners about i think it's about physical media danielle do you want to read it i would be happy to cool hi danielle and millie love the podcast thank you for your brilliant movie analysis and your fun conversations so this might be a big question but I've always wanted to ask it, and more specifically, I wanted to ask a film person. And now that I know two cool ones, here it goes. Why are people telling us that you should own DVDs again? It feels like people on Twitter are always yelling about physical media forever and how we should support video stores, though I'm not sure there's even one left where I live. But I'm curious as to why. I feel like I'm able to grab most things I want to see on the streaming sites, even though I know it's a very clunky process. I end up having to check a bunch of different places, which I totally get is a stupidly time-consuming activity. Yes. I wasn't sure if it was something like the vinyl resurgence where people just have a nostalgia for it and like to collect things, or if it was something else. It feels like there's an urgency to the DVD or Blu-ray thing. I don't feel like that's the case with records. Anyway, any insight into this would be so great. Thank you for making the most consistently interesting podcast out there right now. XO JB. Wow. That's great a question. big question for sure. That is but a very I think big question. And I'm glad that it. since since JB wants to talk to a film person about this, I feel like <laughs> between you and Brian, we have the exact right people <laughs> to discuss this question. I, I hope. I mean, honestly, I think all of us can can weigh in on the on this question because we were I think we are all around the same age, you know, roughly. So we 
kind of grew up in that culture and like the video store home, uh, you know, home video culture. Right, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. I, I worked in video stores myself for about 10 years. So wow. big, big part of my life, even before I was going before that I was going to them, but then working at them just became my my gig. So yeah, big, big deal to me. Yeah. Well, and I so I guess, you know, first and foremost, I mean, you know, you host a podcast that's all about physical media, right? So you're obviously an expert on on what's coming out and and, and what's out already. So what maybe we can break this question down into parts. Yeah. So like why should you own physical media or like what is your your case for owning physical media? Um, well, I've got like, I mean, I broke, I'm sure you could break it down into more than these reasons, but I broke it down yeah. into three main reasons that I can think of. The first being that there's so many movies, as you guys know, um, out there that have been made throughout the history of film. Yeah. And when you think about it, the amount of them that are available streaming is actually really, really small considering yes. how many have been made. Uh, mm -hmm. but you know, I understand the, the question being, you know, that this person says they can find whatever they're looking for if they move around. So fair enough. Um, but I guess for me, uh, I am always kind of looking for more. I want to see something I haven't seen and something older that I haven't seen. And sometimes I don't want, and, and this is going to sound like, I don't know what, but I don't want, basically, I don't want corporations to dictate to me, this is what you can see because this is what we're going to make available to you right now. Right, and right. I know it's not as quite as cut and dried in that, but at the end of the day, it is a lot about that. And so what you yeah. end up getting with physical media is you have these boutique labels, these small companies that license the rights to the movies uh, so that they can put them out on Blu-ray. They pay a fee to whatever studio or rights holder so they can put it out. And Often these are movies that these studios or rights holders don't care about because they haven't put them out themselves. Mm -hmm. So if, it, if not for these boutique labels, these movies would just disappear from yeah. the conversation. And I think that for me is a big deal. Like I don't think that movies should disappear from the conversation. I really want as many movies as possible to be available for people to discover because the, that movie that you haven't seen might be your favorite movie. You just don't know because you haven't yes. seen it yet. I yeah. completely agree. And we've we've had that happen. Even recently, we had that happened where uh, one of the movies I wanted to showcase was Amrika. And it was available uh, streaming when I just when I picked it for the show. And then when we went to record, it was gone from yeah. everywhere. Exactly. And it's like, well, this is a great film. I want people to see it. But if they don't have the disc, then we can't necessarily always recommend that movie on the podcast. So it's kind of strange that you know, these movies that I, I love and feel like should be part of the conversation are ass essentially disappearing because of a dis distribution issue or right. because, like you said, at the whim of a corporation, they just decide we shouldn't be able to see it anymore. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And, and it's really frustrating when you're trying to share, like you're saying, Daniel, a specific movie and you're like, here, it, oh, it's gone. You can't check it out. Right. And I have no you have no control over that. Um, right. You know, and I get what people are also saying about video stores. Yes, there are not many video stores left. That's unfortunate. But what is around and what I do recommend is that people go to their local libraries because they are basically what we have left. They they definitely curate physical media through the library systems. You can get stuff from other libraries sent in. So I think, yes, there are no video stores, but libraries are a great resource for physical media. So it's not totally gone. And yeah. they're, you know, relatively cheap, probably cheaper than video yeah. stores were when in their heyday. 
Um, I think I think that's a great point. Yeah, and yeah. my my library. I don't know about if, if every library does this, but your library might often even order something in for you. Like you said, they will borrow from other libraries. So if it's not specifically on their shelf, you can still often get it through through them. Yeah, no, it's I think it's a great, great thing that people have these and just I mean, who sometimes you just go as a as an adult, you don't go to the library anymore. And I recommend going because uh, it's also just really fun to go and just browse the shelves of books and, and DVDs and Blu-rays. It's just I, I really like libraries. Um, uh, the two I'll be real quick about the two other things that I recommend physical media for. The second oh, sure. is you don't have to. <laughs> Take it's all time. good. It's all good. Time. Uh, the second thing is, um, you know, context is really important with movies, I think, a lot of times. And one of the things that Blu-rays offer, and some streaming sites do offer this, Criterion Channel for one, yeah. and a few others make things like audio commentaries and interviews with the filmmakers or with film scholars available to you to watch. But a lot of them don't. So you watch a movie and then you have no context for it. And maybe you appreciate it, but sometimes having somebody talk to you or listening to them talk about a movie and talk about the history of it, talk about the actors, talk about the difficulties that the actors or the director went through, all kinds of things you can learn from supplements that are yes. included in these Blu-rays. I think that stuff's really important. And uh, I know Raven's enjoyed seeing behind-the-scenes stuff sometimes on her favorite movies. Didn't we watch something on Fantastic Mr. Fox or something like that? I think so. I love Mr. I love that. That's another one of her favorites. But yeah, oh, but yeah just like... One. Just getting to see people making the movie also, I think, gives you a connection to it that's a, a little different. A lot of stop motion, like a, a, a lot of, oh, sorry. A lot of Leica, <laughs> a lot of Leica movies, which is like the ones that made stop motion animations, yeah. like Fantastic Mr. Fox, show um, how they made them. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's really, really cool because I just think it's so cool. Stop motion animation is really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For people who want to know the process, yeah. you know, getting to see that supplement you know, is so helpful. And you're right. A lot of times streaming sites don't have this stuff. Like they just, they don't have the bandwidth to carry the actual assets, but they also like don't even, a lot of times don't even care. They're, they think mm -hmm. it's not important. So, you know, that's, yeah, you need the disc in order to get that stuff. Right. And as someone who's like, I'm definitely, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Raven as someone who's interested in stop motion animation, I wouldn't have the first clue of where to start with how to make something on my own. But if I see someone doing it and then I think, oh, well, that's how they do it. I can try yeah. it at least. So it kind of encourages people who are interested in, in deeper levels of film to kind of get more involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I know that she definitely, I think, were you doing the stop motion before or after we watched one of those? I, I can't remember if that influenced you or not. I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay. Um, <laughs> This is just a minor point, but one thing that I do love about supplements is that there's a lot of dudes that talk about movies. As you guys well know, I'm certainly a dude that talks about movies myself, uh, but I do love that Criterion and some of the other labels love to involve women a lot. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite commentators on Blu-rays are people like Kat Ellinger and Sam Deegan. These are women who are incredibly educated, incredibly intelligent about film. And I mm -hmm. think they always bring something new to me. And I, I just, I get as much as I, you know, talk to a lot of dudes on my shows. Mm -hmm. um, I love to talk to women. I love to hear women talk about movies. And I really do think that is one of the benefits of these supplements is that they are aware of that. And there's a lot of really, really, um, you know, well seen ladies out there that can speak to films in ways and from a different perspective than men. 
Yeah. And so I think that's really valuable as well. Yeah. That's so smart. I love, I really love that. I think that, you know, not only do I agree with you, but I think you're, you're right in that it also kind of opens the door a little bit for different types of analysis, either from the creators themselves or from different types of people. And, you know, it's, it's just a way to kind of keep more people coming into the field. I think that that's an important, important point. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, The last point I'll make, and this is a minor one because this isn't that important to a lot of people and I get it. The audiovisual quality of Blu-rays and 4Ks and and, and such is always going to be a little bit higher than your streaming because you're always going to be dealing with a bit of compression Mm -hmm. through your internet you know, speed and you're never really going to know what kind of quality you're going to be seeing. And I get that that is maybe the least important thing to some folks, but you know, if, if audio visual quality is important to you, uh, Blu-rays are the, uh, the often the uncompressed, best looking, best sounding version of a film that you're going to get. Even if you could find it streaming, it's not going to look quite as good. Right. So that's, totally. you know, kind of a big deal too, in some respects. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and like to JB's point about sort of finding things and then, you know, having to go in a lot of different directions in order to track stuff down, right? This is my eternal problem, I think, with streaming, is that it's very fractured. Like, the 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 problem, I think, right now is that there's not one thing, right? It used to be, like, Blockbuster would have everything or something like that, or, like, you know, your local video store would have pretty much everything you'd want to see. But the in the world of streaming... You know, it's it's a lot more fractured and a lot a lot of different players and mm-hmm. not everybody has everything. And the problem, I think, and this is with Amrika, I think this is what happened with Amrika. I don't know the entire story, but I you know, I do know a little bit a little bit about rights because I work in, you know, I have to deal with rights all the time. Yeah. And first of all, rights for films are, are always separate. So just because something appears theatrically doesn't necessarily mean it's, it, you can get it on a home video. If it's on TV, it doesn't mean that it can, you know, be on the internet. I mean, it's very different. A lot of times, um, movies have different rights for different, you know, territories too. So it's, it's, it's complicated, but, when it comes down to it, like a movie like Amrika, right. Or especially independent distributed, you know, in in a movie that's distributed independently without the studios, right. Um, will sometimes appear on a site like Amazon or appear on a site like Hulu or something like that. But it's the window is small or a window could be two years. It could be six months. It could be one month. And you don't know that as a, it could be a week. Yeah. It could be a week. Right. (laughs) And so what what ends up happening is that unless you sort of do the research or fit or just know know when things are coming off the you know the streaming sites, a lot of times something that you w- would want to see will go away randomly, and it's 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 a bummer because you're like oh this movie that I thought was online is now not online and it could be for a variety of reasons it could be a contract window it could be like simply that the streaming service goes away like it yeah you know the business ends or something and so i think that that's why people are stressing the importance of physical media because when you have the actual product you know it doesn't go away 
right? And you have it in your library and you can pull it down whenever you want to see it. And if you're doing research on something, you can access it. You can get all the supplements. So I think that's kind of the the urgency issue when it comes to physical media. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just that people are afraid that movies are simply going to go away. And we can't control that, obviously. Right. And that is part of the nostalgia as well to kind of dig more into the the JB's JB's question is that, yeah, that is part of the urgency. But it's also, you know, if I really want to see a film and it's nowhere to be found and I want to watch it today and then I have to wait and order it and wait weeks. And, you know, that's just it kind of helps with the nostalgia element if you have things available when you're ready and willing and wanting to watch them. So whenever Criterion has a sale, I always tell myself, I have enough movies, I'm not buying anything else, but I inevitably find 10 other movies that I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I haven't seen that one in a while. It's not on any streaming services and I really want to watch it. And so that kind of fuels both the nostalgia and the urgency um, to kind of have something on your shelf that's ready for you when you're ready to kind of engage with it. Yeah, and I would would say also the the tactile nature of just holding it in your hand. Like you guys and you, we all remember going to the video store, you pick up the cover of the VHS tape, whatever, flip Mm -hmm. it over, read the back, you know, study the cover and make your decision. There's, there's something about that physical contact uh, and the tactile nature that is just different than flipping through a picture. Even if it's the same picture um, on a screen, on a Netflix or wherever, it's, it's just different. It engages your brain differently and I just think there's something it's it is it is nostalgic for one, because obviously we're used to it and kids today aren't like my right. like Raven, you know, she's much more used to flipping through a streaming service. But it I really do feel like just like the same way reading a Kindle versus reading a real book, I think totally engages your mind and physically a different way. Yes. Uh, that's part of the reason I love this stuff is you can just pick them up and hold them in your hand. And it's just there's something about that, you know? Yeah. Completely well, true. Bro- Brian, where where do you recommend if like somebody is looking to kind of start collecting physical media or like, you know, try to build up their collection? Like, are there any kind of companies out there that are doing a lot of this? I mean, I know Criterion is obviously probably, you know, one of the biggest ones that is putting out really great physical media. But I know there's all these other boutique labels. And so I wondered, what are your favorites, maybe? Oh, yeah. Uh, so many. Um that's tough. Yeah, Criterion's great. I mean, Criterion is probably the first place I'd recommend because they have a great breadth of stuff. And again, they often have, I mean, they were sort of the originators of, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I want to say they were back on the Laserdisc days. Some of the earliest audio commentaries were from them. Yeah. And right. so they, they're old school with it. They know how to do it. Um, so I love that about them. But there's a lot of other companies. Uh, Aero Video, which was is a UK-based company, but now... They are UK and uh, United States based. They do a lot of um, really cool genre cinema. Uh, one of my favorite releases from last year, and I think you're a fan of this one too, Millie, was Over the Edge. Oh yeah, uh, totally. One of the great. This is I, this is available streaming, so you can't rent it. But um, they put together just this incredible package. This is actually one of my favorite movies, which is one of the reasons I bring it up. It yeah. had been long not available on anything but DVD, and they just got the entire um cast and crew uh, on zoom talking about the movie oh. and it's just so wonderful to get that stuff so anyway arrow's really really good uh there's a 
company called Indicator, which is also UK based, but now also has a US arm. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of British cinema, but they also do just tons of great, like I have behind me, like some hammer box sets they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, they do you like know. the noir stuff too. Like they did like yeah. a Columbia noir or yes. something like that. Yeah. They've got, I think five, I think they're on their at least fifth volume of that. The latest one is going to be all about Humphrey Bogart. Uh, they've done some really incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, again, with those supplements, that's one of the things I love about the noir stuff is there are a lot of women like uh, Imogen Sarah Smith and others that are participating both with Criterion and other labels yeah. uh, in the noir area. And I love to hear women talk about film noir. That's a really neat thing for me. So yeah. um, they're great. Uh, my, I, I have a friend who has a company. Vinegar Syndrome is a very good but very um out there they're they're (laughs) 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 their stuff's a little crazy um and so it's interesting but they also have these things called partner labels which is part of this other distribution network called ocn which has all kinds of stuff new stuff old stuff um a friend of mine who i met a years ago started a company called fun city editions Mm -hmm. and they've done he's done some really great stuff like uh jeremy uh, with Robbie Benson and Glynis O'Connor, which is just an incredible coming-of-age 70s romance. Um, he's done cult movies. He's really doing good stuff, so I definitely recommend them. Uh, Scream Factory and Shout Factory are yeah. always a, a good place to go between mm-hmm. the, the more horror-based stuff with Scream Factory and Shout Factory Select, which is all over the place. I mean, anywhere from Dragnet to Midnight Run to what what have you, they're a really good place to start. And they, they do a lot of really good supplements too. So, I yeah. mean, those are just cool. a few, but I mean, if you start going down this rabbit hole, uh, they're just, there's so much, just so yeah. much stuff out there. And, and I think the urgency partially comes from the fact that if people turn completely to, you know, streaming media, even these boutique labels will go away and yes. right. we'll lose these these avenues to have these movies come out. So I think that's why people really push so hard is because, you know, you see it physically happening at a Best Buy. Their Blu-ray selection shrinks and shrinks mm-hmm. and shrinks until I've even seen people posting pictures of like no physical media at a Best Buy anymore at all, which, wow. you know, I get like people maybe aren't buying it as much, but um, I think, again, that's why they push so hard on Twitter and places like that. It's just like, hey, we got to keep doing this because it's going to go away. And it's it is important yeah. because we'll lose this avenue. And, and that, you know, I would hate to see that happen. I love, too, that like the 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 way that you mentioned all these boutique distributors, it's kind of the way I think that I used to approach music, where if I liked a, a band that was released on one label, I would check out the rest of the label and so, you know, like, oh, like, I like Orange 9mm. Let's see what the rest of this label has. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can kind of treat physical media that way, too. If you find one film that's being released by a certain company, then check out the rest of what they have to offer. Because a lot of times they tend to focus on the same genre or the same style or like it's a good way, good way approach. So thank you so much for, for giving us that, that extensive list. That's an awesome <laughs> place to start. No, you're 100% right, though, Danielle. That is exactly the same kind of thing. It's, it's, you find a label that you like, you find a boutique label that you like, and they will probably hit some other sweet spot for you at some point. And that's 100% a good parallel, I think. Absolutely. 
Well, listen, Brian, uh, we can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Answer this question from JB. Thank you, JB, for writing. Um, I honestly think it's such an interesting conversation to have because we do get a lot of people who are asking us like where to see movies for the podcast. And it's always hard because we want to we want to try to make that, uh, you know, I believe it as much as you do. I think movies should be available always. And um, Mm -hmm. I hate to think that movies would just go away simply because no one can, you know, host it or put out a DVD of it. So I'm just, I'm excited that you were here to answer this question. We've been wanting you on the pod for a while. Yes. And And you got to come back. (laughs) I'm back and talk movies. (laughs) So honored to be on. I'm such a big fan of both you guys and the show in general. And uh, I love what you do. And again, my daughter loves what you do. And it's been, honestly, it's been a really neat bonding experience for her and I. Like, we bond over movies to a degree, but lately she, you know, is kind of doing her own thing and is a little bit more like, dad, leave me alone, kind of. So (laughs) when I can get in the car with her and the guitar lick from the beginning of your show comes on, (laughs) she just... She just, you know, shuts right up and is just like, what are they going to talk about today? And oh, just we we totally have bonded over it. So I really appreciate the show in a huge way, more than I can really express. And oh, again, thanks. it's an honor. It's an honor. I'm a, I'm a big fan of both of you. My well, heart's melting. Thank you. I know. You're you're and listen, I say this often. You're one of the good ones, Brian. We we I love being on a podcast with you. I love hearing you talk about movies too. And um, you know, thank you so much for your time and and yes. tell Raven that like she is one of us. She is she can have her own segment on this podcast whenever she wants. Whenever we, need, we need a stop motion animation person. We're going Aww. to Raven first. Yes. But Aww, and also so please nice. listen to Pure Cinema Pod and just the discs. Like truly you are you're one of the most accessible and and thoughtful and intelligent hosts out there that just really yes. I always find something new and and wonderful to discover when when I hear you talk so thank you for for being part of this community and letting us be part of this community so kind yes. my pleasure thank you so much It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, that was so great. Brian is so smart. And I love, I just love talking about media, like actual physical media. And I thought that your movie this week was going to be one that I'd have to get on physical media, but I was surprised and I found it (laughs) online. (laughs) And uh, you didn't have to go get a copy from Media Play on VHS. You were not having to go back in time. I was ready to go to the library like, you guys got this? <laughs> but we were able to watch it streaming. Yes. Yes, sirree. And I, um, I'm i loving our theme for this week. And it is, it is from your genius mind. So why don't you just tell people what the theme is? So our theme this week is DJ Play My Motherfucking Song. <laughs> And that came about because I kept thinking about movies where we just can't help but attach a song 
to the movie. Like the song and the movie are inextricably linked in our minds. Totally. I actually think this is a great theme because it's like another entry point into movies, right? Like that's what we do with the themes here. We're just trying to come up with stuff that helps you kind of orient yourself in watching two films. Uh, And these two films are uh, quite different, but (laughs) the songs are, once you hear them, you're like, oh shit, that movie, right? right? And that's kind of like what, you know, I loved about this theme when you suggested it, because it was like, I, for whatever reason, immediately knew mine. I immediately knew mine. And when I said it, you were like, what? Oh, I have so many questions. I'm so glad you're going first. I would have picked 45 movies before this one for you. Easily, easily pick like, oh, she'll do this one or that one. This came out of left field for me and I cannot wait to hear about it. Listen, I am nothing if not a surprise. And I would like to keep everyone dancing at all times. And apparently this one... (laughs) blew your fucking mind it actually is like a funny movie to talk about i will because it is it is completely steeped in my childhood yes and um that is going to be a big part of this presentation (laughs) i figured it was and look before you before you intro it and get into it i also just want to say this movie is a smooth two and a half hours long and this song plays the last five minutes of it (laughs) it is the biggest prank you have ever pulled on me on this show. I know. Next time I'm going to be like, hey, so there's this great song at the end of World on a Wire by Rainier <laughs> Werner Fassbender. You're going to have to watch all eight and a half hours of it. But the song at the end is great. No, I'm kidding. But it's, um, well, I will get into it in just a second. But there, there are times where I feel like maybe you should just watch the music video. Yes. Instead of watching a two and a half hour movie. Which I you know also what I mean? did. Because when, is... when you decided that this was your movie and you sent the link, I was like, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so let's get into it because you are up first and I have so many questions. <laughs> you don't, you're not seeing this right now, but I'm unloosening my pretend necktie as if I've been busted in a in an affair in a motel. Ooh, um, Billy's doing a full Rodney Dangerfield right now. I know. I'm like, yay, yay, yay. Okay, so my movie for the theme of DJ Play My Motherfucking Song <laughs> is a movie from 1992. It was written by Bob Dolman, directed by Ron Howard, and it's called Far and Away. He left behind everything he knew. For freedom. You could be my serving boy. Don't call me boy. In my imagination, America is a wonderfully modern place. I also love that we both picked movies by directors who have famed careers and we picked the worst of their movies. (laughs) (laughs) Or I should say the movies that were the least critically acclaimed. Yeah, which you know, I gotta tell you, I I have I have a re- I've rethought your film, so I can't wait to talk to you about that. Excellent. But I'm gonna do a full on fucking Sophia Petrillo thing right now. Picture it, 1992. I'm in eighth grade. Okay, as we might have talked about, I was kind of a jock, but I also had a sensitive side. Also had a sensitive side. Uh, I definitely secretly loved romance. 
And as we know from our Memphis Bell episode, I loved historical ghosts and was probably in love with a historical ghost at one point in my life. But I, I also watched a lot of MTV, okay? We probably all did. If you're of a certain age, you, you definitely watch a lot, of, a lot of MTV. Now, you you kids may not know this, but honestly, like MTV not only used to play videos, but they also would play like these weird playlists of like clusterfucky videos. So like in the early in the eighties and early nineties, so they'd play like in between the alternative nation jams and then like the downtown Julie Brown jams. It was like not unheard of to see a Michael Bolton video, absolutely, or like Anita Baker. I feel like we talked about this Anita Baker videos. I mean, Queensrÿche, <laughs> yes, Queensrÿche, uh, like. That era was weird because it was like adult contemporary music mixed with like hard rock and then alternative was uh, was kind of coming around the corner. So it was like this weird moment. And then you still had like MC Hammer and shit like that, right? I think so, I think that's when MTV decided to throw in the towel on videos because they're like, this is too confusing. We yeah, cannot we be in this business anymore. Yes. Why are we playing time, love and tenderness alongside fucking ah! smells like teen spirit? This is so weird. <laughs> But here's here I'll even go you one weirder. They would play new age songs. And, yep. and we were also two in this era, early 90s. Does anybody remember the Pure Moods compilation? Experience Pure Moods, the perfect soundtrack for your way of life. Sadness part one, the Good jam Lord. of all <laughs> dull contemporary jams. Yes, it was like new age dance music. That was kind of the shit that was going on too, which is so weird. It's like I said, I said a weird era. So 1992, I'm in eighth grade. I'm watching MTV. I see a music video by the best-selling Irish solo artist of all time, Enya, only second to U2 in terms of best-selling Irish musicians. Okay. And... I'll have you know, at the time she was already famous because she had an album called Watermark mm. that came out. I don't know if you remember this, featuring the all-time jam, Orinoco Flow. Come on. Look, in 1992, I was working in a toy store part-time and a cafe part-time. And both of those stores rocked Orinoco Flow nonstop. <laughs> It didn't matter whether you were buying a briar horse or a pound of pine nuts, you were getting some Orinoco flow. And let me just tell you, you don't even want to know my deep fucking thoughts on Enya. Especially Orinoco flow. I I don't know if you know know this or not. Do you know that she calls out her producer in that song? I don't know literally anything she's saying in that song. (laughs) To this day, I've heard it seven times thousand times i could not tell you a single word from orinoco flow also i mean listen i'm just i'm not saying that enya is a rapper by any stretch however (sighs) orinoco flow first of all i think orinoco i think that is the name of the studio she recorded that shit in is her producer named flow no but she (laughs) called it the orinoco flow being like yo i'm in the studio this is the Orinoco flow coming from the studio. I got my producer that I'm calling out in the song. I mean, it's like, are you a rapper? That's some rap music shit. Am I wrong about that? No, and Enya was the secret member of Dead Prez. 
if I remember correctly. She gets credited, but she's never in the videos. Orinoco is is basically Enya Stankonia, if you want to get down to brass tacks. That is what this shit is. But let, ah. let me just tell you, too, Enya, whom at this moment, okay, in time, when this video was on MTV, if you ever had a shitty boyfriend in the 90s, okay, Enya was the person that he made fun of while he was out, like, beaten off to, like, use your illusion one and two, Yep. Okay. And I, I will say for the record that I think Enya was maligned in the 90s. I'll talk about that later, perhaps, but I'm just saying. Yep. This is why she was on MTV and why I was like, what the fuck is this? So, this video, she's essentially sitting at this giant desk in like her conservatory. I don't know where Enya lives, I think a castle or something. She and, lives on a cloud and you know it. Come on. Yes. Well, her cons- the conservatory in her cloud that houses all of her like rare books and candles and shit. Okay. And she's like opening these giant pages. And guess what? The pages are scenes from this Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise period piece called Far and Away. Okay. So that's, that's how I found out about the jam was through MTV. <laughs> And then when I realized the song was not called Far and Away, it was called Book of Days, I was like, oh, fuck, my mind is blown. Now, Far and Away, the film. All right, let me get to this. It's, it, was the, it was the second movie that Nicole Kimmon and Tom Cruise made together while they were married. As a culture, at this time, we barely knew Nicole Kimmon. Okay. Thank you. But as a kid of the 80s, we knew Tom Cruise, obvi. Okay. Now, I saw their first movie, Days of Thunder. Thought it was just okay. I mean, I haven't seen it in a while. It's really hard for me to get in the race car driving movies. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. With you? But... But this movie, a historical romantic epic starring America's favorite celebrity couple and then featuring this epic new age Iris tune that I just heard on MTV. I mean, I I was like, all right, I'm in. And look, <laughs> like, ev- like literally every movie that I thought was important and historical in the early 90s, Far and Away is definitely horny and not good. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. <laughs> it's horny and not good. And I don't even know how horny it is for me personally. Because I'm not like a big Tom Cruise lady, but me either. just saying. By that metric, it's horny and not good. But this this would be my selection for the bracket if we, if we do it again. But look... just just for reference okay i looked up the roger ebert review for this movie when it came out and i am paraphrasing here but i believe that he said this movie was so stupid that he actually thought it was made for eighth graders for people my age when this movie came out so wow that's the critical opinion of far and away now ebert is just taking listen i'll in defense of far and away for a moment they cover a very interesting span of time across yes. two nations. Correct. So come on, Roger Eber, give him some cred. Even yes. if it was like how we all found out about the Oklahoma land rush, let us have that. <laughs> whether we're in eighth grade or whether we're 
90. Like, let us have that. They didn't teach us that in school unless you lived in Oklahoma. And I mean, you know what? Let me just tell you this right now. Like, looking at it from today's lens, yes, now we have directors like Steve McQueen and other people who can, like, make these great historical films, and they're good. But, yo, back in the day, these were dumb. Like, these were dumb, huge movies that were trying to make, like, trillions of dollars. And you got, like, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in it. This doesn't have to be perfect, right? However, it is stupid. It's a stupid movie. (laughs) Like, it's stupid. And I'm not, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with loving it in eighth grade and realizing now that it was, it was so hokey, right? Like, there's a character in the movie that literally comes back to life (laughs) to say one thing. (laughs) Everybody thought he was dead. He's like, but wait. Go get your land or whatever. It's like so weird. He comes back to genuinely set up the premise of the film. <laughs> like without that dude coming back from the dead, there is no movie. Like zero, the main zero character, movie. The main character has no ambition, no drive, no purpose, no narrative without that move. Yes. It's, it's incredible. Like my last words are, I will give you your mission for the next two and a half hours. So this makes inc- sense. Incredible. Also, and, and again, and I'm going to defend this movie a lot, I think, because wow. I didn't dislike it. I didn't yeah. dislike it as much as I remember disliking it. Sure. And I think that it was, I mean, this is a movie that definitely does the Irish dirty <laughs> as a people. It's a lot going on. <laughs> like, as people, they could have gone... In a number of different ways. The Irish are used to it. They handle it like champions. They are a different breed. Yeah. Irish folks are a different breed in in the best possible way. And they rolled with this. And nobody came for Ron Howard, but they could have. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess they thought he must be he must be one of us, right? Because this is the story of his forefathers, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know where this story came from. Um, him, him and Clint Howard were like, this is our legacy, I suppose. Like, some, my grandmother looked at my grandfather's dick underneath a bowl, and that's how we came to America. <laughs> like, Grandma, how did you guys tell us again that story of how we landed here? And your grandmother would be like, well... Your grandfather was trying to kill my dad and he hold, was holed up in a barn and I stabbed him in the leg and then I looked at his dick under a bowl. And then we jumped on a ship and I made him be my servant and then here you are. What do you want and from me? he bare knuckle boxed his way to freedom. I got shot. He got stabbed. What do you fucking want from me? <laughs> <laughs> you children are soft. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, look, I mean, that was pretty much the movie. Uh, you, <laughs> pretty much it. Um, I, I, will, I will give you a one-sentence synopsis just to be formal. <laughs> so the son of a poor Irish family meets the headstrong, rebellious daughter of his landlord, and together they travel to America to participate in the land run of 1893. Okay? Beautiful. That's, that's, that's the synopsis. Now... I'm going to give you like a really like I want to give a little bit of paperwork because I actually did the like land run research because, you know, as we know, very complicated. And, you know, the whole movie is kind of based around this idea that people came to America to basically race for, quote unquote, unassigned land. 
Okay. And all that land eventually became like the state of Oklahoma. Now, and they're like, these- do us a favor. Ignore these Native Americans. Yes. That are exactly. all over the place. We're going to just exactly. rush this land. Yes, exactly. Because when I say unassigned, quote unquote, I basically mean land that was taken from the Native Americans and was given to settlers from the East Coast or whoever. And it's very complicated. Obviously, we're oversimplifying it a lot. But I actually went on the um, Potawatomi Nation website. And it's great. They actually do like a whole write up about it. And because see, here's the thing, like, the film is obviously very Hollywood. It's very beautiful. It's very like, you know, people were comparing it to the films of John Ford and the films of David Lean because they're these, it was shot in 70 millimeter, which, you know, at the time in 1992, they, uh, the last film that was shot in 70 millimeter was Tron from like 10 years earlier. So, you know, and one day, if you guys are interested, and I'm sure you're not, if you want, I'll, I can talk a little bit about film gauges and what the differences are, if anybody gives a shit. Like, but like, they shoot a lot of epics and westerns in 70 mil, like they shot Ben Hur in 2001, A Space Odyssey. And then, of course, like people like Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, they shoot their films in 70 millimeter. But it's like the purpose is to show this like gorgeous landscape. You know, the, that was actually, they actually shot this movie far and away in Montana and not Oklahoma. Ooh, but burn, burn. I know. Apparently people, like, I read somewhere that, like, Oklahoman historical people were involved. But basically, yeah, they didn't even shoot it there. <laughs> like, we called the guy. What do you want from us? We called the guy and then we went to Montana. He was like, yes, there's dirt here. Yes, there's mountains here. Cool. Let's keep going. But, you know, obviously... Like it's the the history of the land runs are super complicated. There's been a lack of, you know, information from the Native American side and just go do your research. It's very interesting. And I just encourage people to look into it. So now that you have some historical perspective about this film, like let's, let's talk about the little beats of the film, which is that, Tom Cruise plays a guy named Joseph Donnelly. It's the late 1800s. He's in Ireland. He's the youngest son of these poor Irish farmers. They're staging a protest against their landlords. And at some point at the beginning of the movie, his dad gets hit in the head with some like roofing or something like that. I couldn't understand what happened. It was like a stone. He he gets knocked down, but he gets knocked onto a stone. Yes. And the stone that he hits his head on is like, he falls on it. Yes. And and is um, bludgeoned to death, essentially, was what happened. They take him back to his farm. He's like, take me to my sons. He goes to his sons, one of whom is Jared Harris, (laughs) and then Tom Cruise. Okay? And, you know, the the two oldest sons are drunk and and wanting to start fights. Okay. Again, they did the Irish so dirty. They they sure did. And then Tom Cruise is the one that's like, but Papa, like, I I will protect you. And then so the dad dies. And like we said before, it comes back to life like in a gasp. But it's like, go get your land or whatever. And then so now Tom Cruise is imprinted on this moment. And he's just like, fuck, I got to go get my own land because 
fuck, this is the, the dad. My dad just told me I'm I'm nobody if I don't have my own land. Okay, so there's that. Cut to Tom Cruise finds out that his landlord is this guy Daniel Christie, and he's like basically in full fucking John Wick mode. He's like fucking. Yeah. I'm going to go find this motherfucker and kill him for you know ruining my life you know, the landlords, you know, the fact that my dad is now dead from some roofing. I don't know what's going on. So he shows up, he sees Daniel Christie at his own home. He, he, first of all, he like kind of hangs out with him at a bar, but then goes to his home, hides in the barn. Okay. And instead of Daniel Christie, who he's planning to shoot with like one of those old timey guns, it ends up being this beautiful, woman with this gorgeous curly red hair and her name is shannon christie and she's in the barn putting away her horse and she's like there's somebody up there finds out it's this guy joseph donnelly and then stabs him in the leg with a pitchfork because she because shannon christie i don't know if you know this she's a spicy one she's a she's fucking a, she's spicy a corker one. she's a real corker yes because <laughs> here's here's the deal shannon she's she's modern she hates Victorian collars, okay? Doesn't want to wear them. She wants to look at dicks under giant bowls. She just does. And most importantly, she wants to travel to America because they're giving away free land to people. And she's like, well, fuck. Like, I want to go there. I want to defy my parents. I want my own place to hang out with my horses. And she basically you know, enters in this proposition to the Joseph character, to the Tom Cruise character. And it's like, do you want to come to America and get your own land? I, I looked at your dick. I guess we're bonded for life. <laughs> right? So basically, come to America with me. Here's the thing. I can't go by myself because I'm a woman and I can't travel alone. And why don't you just become my servant? And then casual. We, <laughs> yes. And then when we get there, we get land and everybody wins, right? So that's the proposition. And he's like, are you fucking joking right now? Like, I'm trying to kill your dad for ruining my life and, and ruining my family's life. And you want me to come be your servant. But, but then realistically, he can't go home because he completely failed in his mission to kill. Yes. The D Daniel Christie. Yes. Because he's like, also, what else am I going to do? Right. Because he doesn't <laughs> know how to shoot a gun or anything. He's like real clumsy. Well, I find that very odd that he's clumsy, but also a bare knuckle boxer. I'm just like, how does that yeah. work? Well, to, uh, his, to his credit, the gun was old and rusty and it backfired. So he tried to shoot this guy and the gun was like, nah, yeah, <laughs> we ain't shooting anybody today. Sure. He almost blows himself up by trying to kill <laughs> his landlord, which we've all been there as far as I know. So here's this, there's this other motherfucker, too, that comes into the picture, this guy named... Stephen Chase. And this is like full Titanic mode. I haven't seen yeah. Titanic, but I know a little something based on literally all of you emailing me the plot to <laughs> Titanic. Okay. Now, Stephen Chase, who is played by the actor Thomas Gibson, he's kind of like the Billy Zane character. Yeah. He's like the mustachioed, dark haired, like asshole rich guy that is trying to marry Shannon. Yep, and he works for the dad, and he's like, yes. and this and is he's Thomas. An evil motherfucker. 
He's so yes. evil. And this is Thomas Gibson of Dharma and Greg fame, amongst other things. Or if you are a Criminal Minds fan, Criminal Minds. Yes. Um, he put so little effort into an Irish accent. <laughs> like Tom Cruise is out there like fucking shucking and jiving, giving it his all. And then Thomas Gibson is like, hey, Lassie, uh, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm going to shoot you. And you're like, wait, were you not just Irish a second ago? So little effort into maintaining that accent. He's like, I just have to be a dick. Just focus on the fact that I'm a dick. Don't listen to my accent. Yes. It's like, I have one, sort of. But mostly I'm handsome and an asshole. So just focus on that. Um, Meanwhile, Tom Cruise is sweating. He is sweating yes. through those pronouns and pronunciations. Oh, yeah. And, he, and, and, and this is like Tom Cruise early period-ish where he still looks like a fucking mean jock. When he's yes. got that mean jock face. He wasn't mm-hmm. completely, he hadn't capped all of his teeth. And by this point, he was still like fucking, you know, he was kind of a unibrow, like mean motherfucker looking type of dude. And they really played that up in Absolutely. this film. So here's the thing. Shannon is rich and Joseph is poor. They're traveling together on a steamer across, you know, to America. Shannon has a spoon collection. And she's like, this is, this is my money. My money is in these spoons. And let me just tell you, back in 1992, my mother also thought that spoons were going to get her places. <laughs> we had those. We had one of those cabinets, like, all hanging on the wall that had the fucking spoons from, like, every state. <gasps> and I swear Who? to God, she was like, yo, you're going to college on these spoons. I was like, they, they will end up at a thrift store. <laughs> and where I will get bit by a where dog. I will get bit, yeah. I was like, that's my fucking sliding doors moment is the fucking spoon collection. Who who was running this spoon racket back in the day? Because I entered so many homes. My friend's parents were like, we all got to get the spoons. And I'm like, what is happening here? And are you okay? Because the spoons were also like, they were non-usable. They were tinier than a teaspoon. Yes. They were like little Barbie spoons. Some of them had like, little bells hanging yeah. on them. Like, you couldn't use that shit. They have, like, big enamel emblems on them. I'm like, who is using this, buying this? It's not even, like, enough silver to make a ring out of. Yes. Who was running? Someone got super rich off of the spoon racket in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm just saying. Yes. And, and like, think about it this way. This was a pr- this was pre-Beanie Babies. So this yes. was, like, the, the, the foundation spoons laid the foundation for beanie babies let's just say that for all y'all's moms for all y'all's moms like spoons walk so beanie babies could fly (laughs) exactly exactly so shannon is like yo i got these spoons they're gonna take us to the new world so we can like go get this land guess what she uh, she has no street smarts whatsoever because she she entrusts some fucking stranger to her spoon collection this motherfucker basically like drops them and then all everybody starts grabbing them so they're broke is basically my point so she's all high society he's like like joseph's of the lower classes if you will and they are fucking broke in america so they have to pose they have to pose as brother and sister as you do in these films and they gotta rent a room in a brothel where shannon has to dance burlesque and Joseph has to bare knuckle box to survive. And 
Also, they fall in love during this <laughs> this whole <laughs> this whole shenanigan. Like, and there's a lot of scenes. There's a lot of scenes of Joseph bare knuckle boxing, and it's the kind of thing where you know he's beating the toughest guy in town, and this guy beats him to a bloody pulp, and he's about to fucking croak. But at the last minute, he finds the strength and then just kicks this guy's ass. Like, gotta love a boxing movie where that shit happens. It's like that's why this movie is too. This is why this movie is two and a half hours long. Because they're like, we have to put a whole boxing movie within this narrative yes. of people coming from Ireland to America. Exactly. And so they 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 have they basically separate at some point, Joseph and Shannon, uh, as you also do in these films, because it's like you're in love, but you have to break away for a second so you come back together at the end. Hello. He starts working on the railroad, but they end up both they both end up in the spot. That's what's crazy is they end up in the spot with the that land. That was the run. dream. On top of that, guess who else is in America trying to get their land? Her parents who decided that they didn't they were like, "Yo, we got a castle in Ireland, but I guess we also want American land cuz we're greedy." Well, cuz that also, castle got burnt to the damn ground. <laughs> yes. The tenants were like, "Fuck you, we're burning this goddamn mansion." But also Stephen fucking Chase. This motherfucker's in town too. They brought and, Stephen. And wouldn't you know, there was an epic showdown between Joseph and Stephen coming around the bend. <laughs> but then that's the part of the movie that is actually kind of interesting. And it, it does it is that moment of like, oh, they shot this in 70 mil. Thank God they did that. It looks great. But basically the right. land rush scene so basically a guy shoots off the gun Twenty thousand people are taking their stagecoaches and their horses and they're basically just running towards free land they stick their flag in the ground and that's their spot right and it's um you know it's kind of like i said before there's obviously like a complicated history with it all but in context of a film of like a hollywood fake ass historical film it looks great and that's the that's the film. That's the story. And here's the thing about the Enya song. Just to wrap this up. This all takes place before the Enya song. P.S. <laughs> the Enya song plays at the closing credits. Because <laughs> the, the, the rest of the score was done by John Williams. And I feel like there was one other, like a, like a modern band. I think it was the Chieftains. I think they had a song in it. But basically, yeah, the Enya song plays at the end. However, in 92, Book of Days was bumping all the time. And that's where you put the big song was at the end of the film. Like Brian Adams and right. the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves song. It was at the end. Yeah. And here's the thing. I thought... I was fooled because I thought that that song was going to be in it more. When I actually <laughs> saw the movie, I was like, yo, they play Book of Days at the end. I thought it was going to happen during the fucking race. During That's the how whole they got th us. Man, I was like, never again. I can't tell you how many movies I went to in the 90s thinking they're going to play my song throughout because they play it on MTV a solid yes. 12 hours a day, which means they want me to see this movie because the song is in it. Right. And I would go and then You Should Be Mine plays at the motorcycle scene at the end. Right. They oversold that shit. And like they don't do this anymore because MTV does not play music videos. But back when we were kids, 
the music video was an entry point to the film. Like, yes. basically, it was almost like marketing for the film, where you would see the music video on MTV and be like, oh, shit, I need to go see, you know, whatever movie this is. I want to go see Streets of Fire because I saw the video for I Can Dream About You. There's like all these clips, you know, ah. in the video. And I can't tell you how many movies I saw based on the music video alone. Yes. Like, that's basically how I found out about movies in a lot of ways. And the, so, fi- the fire videos didn't just show clips. They also had the actors in the video. Oh, oh God. Those were the fire. So those times. were the fire ones. That, that was when you knew you're like, yo, this isn't just like some marketing tool. They fucking integrated this shit into the, like the Ghostbusters video. Yes. When you saw the fucking guys at the end from Ghostbusters, you're like, oh, they're in it. They're doing, they're in the video. I'm like, damn, that's fucking tight. Quality, quality. And l- let me just tell you, this isn't like a fucking. I'm not. I'm not gonna say this explicitly, but also, if you hate Enya, come fight me. I will bare knuckle <laughs> box you if you hate Enya. I Millie, swear. Will Joseph Donnelly your face? Right, because and here's the should. thing. What one of the most interesting facts about this movie and this song is that Book of Days was nominated for a Razzie. How a dare f- they? What a fucking Razzie. Okay. What kind of disrespectful shit is that? I can't hear that. I can't hear that and just go back to normal. That's not right at all. Especially yes, when like, songs like like the Ad, the MC Hammer Adams Family song is out here and you're nominating Enya. In the 90s, it was so chic almost to make fun of Enya at a certain point. And I find that fucked up now in 2022 because... She was just making chill spa music for all of us. That's all it was. Yep. Was she was making fucking chill out, chillaxing soundtracks for our relaxation. I swear, if you hate Enya, I will bare knuckle box you. I'm your gonna town. take it. I'll go to your town. I'll go to your town. <laughs> I'm gonna take it one step further and say it was very popular in the '90s, and even. Not as much now, maybe, but like prevalent in the 90s to make fun of any female musician. Yes. I cannot tell you how many times my first boyfriend or like someone would be like, oh, you're listening to Tori Amos, tore my anus. And I'm like, I will fucking turn up little earthquakes so loud your ears bleed because you just don't get it. And you're not supposed to. And fine. Let them do their thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't even tell. Let's not even talk about Sarah McLaughlin and Lil Fair, all that shit. Everybody was like so down on that shit, denigrated. Yes, but now the fucking tables have turned, and Sarah McLaughlin's out here making all that ASPCA money. The point of this is to say, Book of Days was my jam. Book of Days will always remind me of Far and Away. Book of Days, the video will probably be a better watch than the two and a half hour movie. Your your mileage may vary, of course, but I'm just saying, if you don't want to watch a two and a half hour movie, just watch the video. You'll get all the info you need. But the song is killer. It is. And and, and Enya is killer. She's a killer. So I appreciated that. I did not hate this movie. I thought parts of it were very funny. I thought it was a throwback to a more gentle time when yes. I loved seeing movies because I liked the song. Yes. And uh, I really appreciated that this was your movie this week because I have never, I have not thought of this movie since it was released in 1992. Most people haven't. 
And I'm always here to talk about a movie that I weirdly loved in like seventh or eighth grade. Well, speaking of (laughs) my movie for this week, based on our theme, DJ Play My Motherfucking Song was released in 1988. It was written, directed, and produced by John Hughes, and it's called She's Having a Baby. Kevin Bacon, Elizabeth McGovern, in a new film by John Hughes. It's been 48 hours since our last coalition. My temperature's optimum. I'm ovulating. I have the pillow set up in the position. You can watch TV if you get bored. Here's to successful fertilization. John Hughes is ubiquitous. Everyone knows that he basically created the modern teenager on screen. Breakfast Club, 16 Can, a bunch of movies, bunch of movies directed and wrote. And this one is one of his only movies that completely tanked. Like it did Mm. not earn out what they made it for. It was critically bashed for some, like just nobody was having, she's having a baby. It's one of the last movies that he made. But after a legacy of creating all these teen movies, he shifted into this more serious adult realm and nobody wanted it, which is a shame because to me, Mm. this movie is part of my DNA. I have been watching it since I was a child and it's probably part of the reason I never wanted to have kids. Because this movie was devastating in so many ways, but also Mm -hmm. hilarious. So before I get into all that, I'll just say one sentence synopsis. Aspiring writer Jake Briggs is forced to confront his petulant behavior and reckon with the true meaning and happiness of life when his wife risks her life to give birth to their child. Yes. Yes, perfect. So this movie stars Kevin Bacon uh, as Jake Briggs. His name is his name is Jefferson Briggs, and Alec Baldwin plays his best friend, Davis McDonald. And they might as well have been called, like, Blanco McWhiterson and White Man Blanche. Like, they, they're the whitest names I've ever heard. Were they in the Land Run 2? That's some Land Run-ass <laughs> fucking names. Land Run 2 Electric Boogaloo is Jefferson <laughs> Jake Briggs and Davis McDonald. Jesus. Uh, wild. Like, out the gate wild. Elizabeth yeah. McGovern uh, plays Christy Briggs, Jake's wife. And Elizabeth McGovern, who a lot of younger people probably know from her more recent stint as the matriarch in Downton Abbey, she is so low-key hilarious in this movie. Yeah, Just sarcastic and snappy and i adore her in this movie and she looks like a porcelain doll like she is just like so underutilized and so funny in this movie yeah she's so good she's so good in this movie amazing and the whole premise of the film is basically that we we're meeting jake and, and christy at the beginning of the film as they're getting married And let me tell you, nobody is happy about this marriage because they are very young. You know, they're like in their early 20s. Jake is panicking from jump. And a big part of this movie includes Jake's, it's mostly from Jake's POV, and it includes a lot of his fantasy life. So he'll see something and fantasize and have kind of like these mild breakdowns around what's happening. And he just lives in his his head a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, the thing that I love about this movie, it's a very poignant script. 
Like from the beginning, they're dropping these bombs. Like at one point, uh, Jake and Davis are sitting in the car and he's kind of like, I don't know if I should go in there and get married and do this. And Davis says, he's like, you know, do you think I'll be happy with my life? And Davis says, you'll be happy. You just won't know it. And I'm like, damn, that's five minutes into the film and they're dropping these bombs. <laughs> let, me, let me just talk to Davis McDonald brings the real every fucking time he opens his mouth. I was like, damn, this motherfucker will tell you to your face exactly what you don't want to hear ever. <laughs> yes. He's that friend. Yes. He is that friend. And he's, you know, he's kind of this, he could have been in less capable hands, a very throwaway character because he's kind of this well-moneyed kind of preppy kid who plays his way through his 20s and doesn't take anything too seriously, including relationships. Like he could have just been a throwaway character, but he ends up, even though it's a small role, adding a lot of heft to Jake and Christie's relationship because you're kind of seeing the other side of the coin with him. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I thought about this a lot when I was watching this movie of his character and sort of like who he sort of represents, right? So it's like, I mean, obviously this movie is about marriage and it's about kind of like going into that world of like moving to the suburbs and having children and everything. And then you have you know, in every story invariably have like your friend who is still single, who's living in the city, who doesn't want kids is kind of just like living the life. And there's a scene of Davis and when he comes uh, to visit them and he's got his new girlfriend and that fucking scene, like cut me open in so many ways. And then I started thinking, I don't know if you thought this, it might've just been me, but I thought, do my married friends think that I'm this guy that I'm like coming right. into their house, like no fucking attachments being like, she's a fucking scary city person with no, she's not married and she's got no kids and she has a job. And no, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what my married friends are thinking about me. I would hate to think that, but it was that moment where you're like, who are you on this side? Like who, right. what side are you on in this scene? Right. Oh, yeah, I'm the Davis. And yes, our married <laughs> friends absolutely do think that about us. <laughs> Even if it's not all the time. It doesn't mean they love us any less, but they absolutely think we're total fucking freaks. <laughs> like, what are you this doing? This movie with... made me think if you, could, if, if you haven't figured this out already. so Yeah, well, this is, this is what, I, again, I love about watching and rewatching movies and going back and revisiting. Because when I was a kid watching this movie, I'm like, oh, that guy's an asshole. He's just an asshole. But right. now I'm watching it in my mid 40s and I'm like, damn, I have a lot more Davis than I'd like to admit. <laughs> and I don't like that at all. Yeah. And uh, again, it really adds a layer of weirdness kind of yeah. to even the Jake and Christy relationship because he is bringing so much energy of like being against what they're trying to build. Sure. And yeah. seeing how that even affects their friendship. Like we've been through that where... It's not even intentional, but there's a certain point where, like, in my life, my friends were getting married and having, and not even, the marriage wasn't even really the biggest part of it, is when they started having kids, is when I started yeah. hearing less from, like, their priorities had shifted, and either I wasn't hearing from them at all, or every time I heard from them, it was only about their kids. And right. I'm like, we used to get so drunk and puke against the sides of bars and just talk about everything 
And now I'm only hearing about shitty diapers and I want to be there for you and support you through that. But all my shit looks just pales in comparison. Like I can't talk to you about anything going on in my life because your life is abjectly harder (laughs) than my life is right now. So it just instantly made me feel like I have no purchase here to discuss anything real because you will always now be able to one up me with, but parenthood is harder. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're you're right. I cannot fault you on that and again this isn't my friends saying anything to me that made me feel that way it was just kind of me realizing that because most of we us did this kind of stuff in later life that i thought we gotten past that point and like oh well when you got married and your partners are cool so like we're all still pretty much the same it was having kids that made it real to me that like oh they are living different lives yeah and and i think that's what this movie it's interesting because I did think about this movie in terms of that, of like a modern, like, cause I kept thinking, okay, so here's this like young couple, they're married. The, a lot of young couples who are married don't move to the suburbs and get a lawnmower or whatever. Right. Some, some still stay in the city. I know people who are raising kids in the city or whatever, but it's also like the, I think the, the, what the Davis character makes them, it kind of like forces them to sort of be like, you really, want to do this like you're you're still in it you're still you here you got like the the other side of the world being presented to you and it's gross some of it is gross like his girlfriend that comes in is like crazy basically she's like she's hilarious licking that fucking drink like i kept thinking like okay i've never done that at least i have the (laughs) sense to not lick the side of a glass in front of my fucking friends who are married but at the but, same time but the caricature of her is is is, is extreme but we've yeah. all like i've dated someone who was a puppeteer and brought them to my fucking friend's house like that was normal oh yeah <laughs> like, and like, they're like we have real jobs and lives y'all are nuts i know and it's but it's so like it goes back to just that whole that whole thing that it was like even in the 80s it felt a little bit even more pronounced where it was basically like uh, you got to get a job in advertising. You got to move to the suburbs. You got to be friends and have block parties with your neighbors. And mm-hmm. you forego being cool and being city wise and being interesting for this. Right. And that's what I think that, that the, this movie really shows a lot more than I ever thought when I oh, first yeah. saw it. Yeah, yeah. And Jake's having a really hard time with it is the truth. Like he's really really having a hard time in general in himself. So they get married and they go immediately to New Mexico where he's in grad school. And it's kind of terrifying. You know, they have problems with their in-laws and money issues and he doesn't like being in grad school. So they move back to Chicago and do the whole suburbia thing and he doesn't fit in there either. And he kind of resents the fact that like Christie's parents are constantly making fun of him because Christy wants to work. And Christy's dad is like, well, my wife never had to work. And it's like, so it's like also a, a, um, a generational divide that they're dealing with. And mm-hmm. they're trying to be modern and cool, but they're they're replicating so much of the old beats of what it meant to be married. Um, so they're just both, they're having a lot of friction with it. And there's a very cringy club scene where Jake is trying to reclaim his youth after Davis visits and he's like fantasizing about this girl that he sees. And um, it's just very cringy because you're like, you're, you're an adult male trying to build a life and you're acting like a scared child. But that's 
again, as a 40-something, I'm thinking, well, he's scared because his life changes are affecting his personality and his personality is changing and maybe he didn't expect that. And the responsibility of life is kind of more crushing to him than he thought. So he's working this job in advertising that he thinks is beneath him and he doesn't have any passion for and he's trying to write a book on the side and just really not feeling it, just really not feeling it. And all of this comes to a head when they decide to have a kid. And I have a few issues with how that was presented. They basically show Christy just, she stops taking her birth control pills without telling Jake, Mm -hmm. which totally within her right to do so. But the way they present it is like, I'm going to trick him into giving me a baby. And I just didn't love that. Yeah. They do kind of make up for it because, you know, later they're doing these fertility tests and talking about, you know, trying to have a kid. And she's like, well, I stopped taking my birth control three months ago, so we got to go get tested. And this is before a time when it was normal to get fertility tests. So it was like a big deal to even see this on screen. And to make the problem, Jake's. She's like, I can get pregnant. You can't get me pregnant. Yeah. And so that was new. (laughs) Like, that was something very new to see on screen. So they embark on this journey towards becoming parents which again throws this fucking spoke in the wheel for jake um i think they should be having a bigger problem with the fact that their doctor is called dr stanky (laughs) i ain't letting you give birth to my kid or touch my body your name's stanky wonder wonder what that was like in the like when he was writing the film being like jefferson jake briggs (laughs) But then we're calling this Dr. Stanky. <laughs> it was why not? Hi, balance it out. It's a sign of a very gifted screenwriter. Yeah. <laughs> balance it out with some stanky. <laughs> and, and again, like Jefferson's all or you know, Jake's also kind of pushed to this place because you've got the parents. The parents are so high pressure in a way that I don't think happens yeah. anymore for most people. And the one of the funniest lines in the film, like the Christie's dad, Russ, is one of the funniest characters in the film unintentionally. And at one point they're sitting around the dinner table and he's like, when am I going to have some grandkids? Everyone else in my office has pictures of their grandkids on their desks. And then he points at his wife and he's like, and I only have a picture of her. Like, what am I going to get some? And then he looks at the two, uh, Christy and Jake and goes, what are you going to be swingers your whole life? (laughs) Like like neither set of grandparents thinks that their marriage has any value until they have kids, which is a high pressure fucking situation. So Mm, they decide mm, to have kids. mm, mm. Christy gets pregnant. Very cute, quick kind of montage of, of them prepping for this baby. And that's where my song comes in because Christy's on the way to the hospital. Yes. And she's cool, calm and collected and Jake's losing his fucking mind. And she in the middle of giving birth, they're trying to, you know, bring him in to be present in the room. And then very quickly before he even sets foot in the room, there's problems. And a nurse mm-hmm. tells him, you know, you have to wait. There's issues. I'll come out and tell you what's going on when I find out. And what's happened is that Christy is having a breech birth. So the baby is backwards and it's very scary. The scenes of her in labor prior to having the cesarean were excruciating to me as a child. I'm like, I never want to do any of that. 
Like, I never mm. want to be in that yeah. kind of pain for even 10 minutes. Ain't worth it. But then we get, mm. again, to my song. So I didn't know this as a kid, but This Woman's Work by Kate Bush was written for this movie. So when I was a kid, I just thought, this song so perfectly matches what's going on, how lovely. And then years later, when the internet came into my life, and I was reading about this song, I'm like, wait, this song was specifically written for this movie. Like John Hughes commissioned it essentially from Kate Bush. Pray God you can And if you don't know who Kate Bush is, wow. I mean, look, if you weren't a kid who was dancing around with a scarf in your room to Wuthering Heights, I can't help you. But go back and do some work and and figure out who Kate Bush is. She is, in the words of Millie, an ethereal rock bitch. <laughs> I will bare knuckle box you if you don't know who. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to bare knuckle box. box everybody. But also, like, I feel like Kate Bush has had, I don't know, kind of this, like, weird resurgence or reappreciation by, like, the younger generation, almost. Yes. And I think a lot of it is because a lot of her songs are sampled now and redone. So this woman's work, we've already talked about, actually, because Maxwell did a cover of the song, for, and it was featured in Love and Basketball. So... Right. But I think a lot of people do right. know who Kate Bush is. But if you don't, do yourself a favor. She is a tiny weirdo from the UK. And <laughs> I just adore her. And she was uh, the witchy godmother of rock. And just fantastic. Yeah. So she has yeah. this like very high-pitched voice. And she's singing this song. And it's all about the perspective of being a husband who is on the outside of this experience that he's watching his wife go through and the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen, but you can't do anything about it. So it's really a song about helplessness and it's so, it's just so beautiful. Um, This movie, again, this song was, was written for the movie, but then it was put on her next album, the sensual world. And I just feel like this hospital scene has, it's just stuck with me over the years it's just one of the most touching and beautiful and sad scenes I've ever seen committed to, to film, especially on the heels of this movie yeah. that up to this point has been mostly a comedy. And there's this right. one scene in particular where Jake is sitting down and he's by himself. The rest of the family is across the room. He's by himself sitting down, bathed in light. And as he's sitting And thinking about what's happening, he goes and flashes back to all of the fun and beautiful and happy moments of their life together. So, again, this is where this movie, to me, takes a real turn. And I think part of the reason why I really have always loved it is that every scene that you've seen before this of them fighting or bickering or, you know, not having a good time, as he's actually thinking back to it, he remembers the fun of it and the joy and the life and how all of that was part of building a life together. And it wasn't all as bad as he was making it out to be. Right. Yeah. It's almost like in that moment, he realized that he had been just so caught up in his own bullshit. You know what I mean? That he didn't even understand like actually what was happening that 
now his wife is in danger, their baby's in danger, and he just like doesn't know, you know, what to do. Um, yeah, because so because so much of what I, I mean, you know, honestly, we we have seen a lot of movies in the world where you see relationships and families and marriages and babies through like a guy's perspective. Right. So you're like, okay, here's a guy that's like, Oh boy, I'm being dragged Mm -hmm. to the altar. And I don't, you know, how do I feel about this and this and that? But I don't know. I, I feel like this movie particularly makes that click moment. It it really is emotional for me. Like when you're like, Oh, here's a guy who's basically like, you know, spent the first three fourths of the film just being like, do I want to date other women? Do I want to be a writer? Am I doing that? What am I doing? And then all in that moment going like, actually like it doesn't even fucking matter what my own ennui or whatever. It's like, I just want my wife and my unborn child to be okay. And it's happening to this beautiful song. You know what I mean? Where he's sort of like, I mean, the message of the song to me is basically like, look at all this work, like this woman's work, this woman, what she does for me and what, you know, she's doing for our family. I mean, that's emotional. I mean, that's, that is the difference I think of watching it now versus versus having seen it in the eighties or the early nineties or whenever I saw it and being like, oh yeah, it's like, this is John Hughes movie, but it's not like funny and rollicking. And it's like, oh, it's like a grown up movie. And I don't really know what to think about that. But now it, you know, obviously means a lot more that I'm older. Absolutely. Yeah, I I could not agree more. It is completely true that it's, it's always that for some reason, that scene has always hit me very hard emotionally, but even more so now, like you said, as an adult, because I just kind of understand more about what John Hughes was trying to say about what actually matters and how easy it is to get caught up in our own bullshit and not focus on the stuff that is right in front of your face. Like it's, it's just like Davis said in the beginning of the movie, you, you will be happy. You just won't know it. Right. And I think in that moment, he knows it. He knows it. He looks back and says like, look at all these moments when I was happy, but I was so caught up in my own fucking head that I couldn't express that to her or even to myself. And it's right. so poignant. And there's, oh, there's this one part of the scene. The music is building. And there's like a single tear that comes from Jake's face. And then it cuts to a drop of blood falling on the floor in mm. the operating room. And I just lose it every time. I lose it every time. Yeah. One thing that was interesting to me now is I kind of went back and read some stuff because John Hughes died in 2009. And Kevin Bacon wrote something in Entertainment Weekly, and it starts out pretty funny. So he says, and I quote, leave it to me to be in the one John Hughes film that doesn't explode at the box office. Mm. But then he goes on to say, the childbirth sequence with the Kate Bush song, This Woman's Work, was so intense. He'd picked that song already. So I listened to it again and again and again. He'd play it live on the set. I didn't have kids then, so I was basically projecting and trying to figure out what that kind of pressure and fear could be. When my son was born, we had a really similar situation where the cord was around his neck and they moved his wife, Kira Sedgwick, from from one room to to another. I mean, it was like literally straight out of she's having a baby. And the crazy thing was my reaction was so similar. 
it's such a lame thing to say, but it was almost as though I practiced for this moment by making this film. I was there going, holy shit, John Hughes already took me through this. Wow. So just the fact that he would play that song on the set, that this was part of Kevin Bacon's prep as an actor for getting into the emotional part of this movie is just, for me, a primary example of how emotional the song actually is. I mean, honestly, like the song is so gorgeous, but just the like lyrically, like what it's doing. I mean, just the simple title of it. I mean, it's like it kind of is a recognition, I think. And that's what makes it emotional for me is just knowing. I mean, it was written by a woman, but it's that thing of like, oh, here's a song that presents this idea that this man is this is recognizing you know, this sort of emotional, physical, spiritual load of a woman, right? right. And and that to me is like very emotional. Like, and, and using it in the context of this p- film, particularly where it is liter- literally a guy who's waiting while something good or bad may be happening on the other side of, you know, the wall or whatever. It's just intense. And it's very in- and it's made to me made more intense by the fact that this movie is semi autobiographical. You're right. And at the end of the film, it's in the credits. It says that the inspiration is Nancy Hughes. And I feel like it's worthwhile to learn a little bit about her because I didn't know a lot of this. So Nancy Hughes was born in Chicago in 1951. And she met John Hughes at Glenbrook North High in 1967. So that is true. That is in the movie and it is true of his life. They were married three years later when she was 19 and he was 20. So again, married very young, just like in the movie. Um, John Hughes did work at an advertising agency and they did spend some time in Arizona and they did move back to Chicago. And he credits her with being an inspiration for a lot of his work, not just this one. But this movie is so autobiographical and so personal that it must have really stung for him that it didn't do as well as some of his other movies. And I read this in her obituary because she died in 2019. And she was, she just sounded so cool. I don't know how, if that's lame to say, but basically... This is from part of her obituary that I read on Legacy.com. And there's also, you know, in the Chicago Tribune, part of her obituary appears there. But this one particular part I just thought was so beautiful. So, quote, set to Kate Bush's This Woman's Work, a track personally commissioned by Hughes, the sequence exemplifies a moment where music tells a story that images alone can't adequately express. It was fitting considering Nancy's life was steeped in music. Whether songs blasted indoors or on poolside boomboxes, friends and frustrated neighbors quickly learned her favorites. A music lover in high school, she found her partner in John, already a seasoned collector of import and rare records. Together, they attended an astonishing range of rock concerts in the 60s, spent long nights in Chicago blues and reggae clubs in the 70s and 80s, and venues across the country and beyond in the years to come. 
However, listening to music at home remained a priority as her favorite albums were the soundtrack to marathon card games while friends of all ages angled for a spot at Nancy's table. Time was shared not just with family, but with friends who stretched back to grade school. Welcome were the black sheep of the neighborhood in need of companionship, as well as rising stars of Hollywood in need of stability. Wow. I just, ugh. Yeah. She just seemed like the coolest. And I love that he, he said this movie was an inspiration, was inspired by Nancy, but it feels like it was also, in hindsight, for me anyway, a real testament to their relationship. So it wasn't just inspired by her. I feel like he wrote it for her. Yeah. And to kind of showcase how lucky he was to have this incredible woman in his life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. She was just great. And she, throughout her life, was a dedicated philanthropist. Um, after he died in 2009, she they had a lot of homes but you know they lived in chicago and she donated um one of their homes as a charitable gift to the northwestern memorial lake forest hospital to help them build a new hospital um she there are tons of buildings across and around chicago named for the hugheses because of nancy and yeah, she was a real inspiration and sounded like a very cool woman. And she went through a lot to give them a family. And he really honored her, I think, in this this film. Well, I have to tell you, I'm just so glad that you told us all of that. Because how many podcasts out there are talking about John Hughes and have done so for a long time? Nobody, I've not heard a podcast about his wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, thank you for sharing all that because she's so important to, you know, his life and his work, but also to this film, you know? Yep. So just, I think it's great that you shared all that. It's great. Thanks. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like this film deserves fresh eyes and a second look. Like it's a fantastic movie. It's very funny. It's very provocative and it's incredibly touching and it's a real testament to a to the reality of a relationship and a marriage and i don't think there are enough adult movies that get credit for that yeah i mean god it feels like we don't have adult movies anymore i know that that's not entirely true but it kind of is i mean you know obviously like i thought so much about this film and i like i said i think some of there's some real hard elemental truths in this film not just about him but about her and about like the realities of marriage, like with the parents and with money, which is mm-hmm. an obviously a very uncomfortable thing to talk about, especially like when it comes to money being your value in a marriage. Yep. You know, you're, I mean, I have friends and, and relatives that that's how they judge a worthy partner. Yeah. You know, and it's tough. And I, I, like I said, I have, you know, in a way I'm shielded from all of that because I'm single. I have no children. But it, it was a moment where I thought, yeah, I mean, it's like you do see sort of like the big issues and maybe th- things that I've avoided in my life, but that still seem really hard and 
you know, and there's a part of me that is relieved <laughs> by some by yeah. being single and, and childless because I'm like, oh my god, I can't imagine what this must be like. But then there were also moments where I I did think like, oh god, like well, this partnership and this, you know, I I appreciated that part, and I think it's like, I think it's harder for, and I think we've talked about this before on this podcast, but I think it's harder for single people to assert their um, maturity. Yeah. Without marriage mm-hmm. and children. And I think that's changing. Any movie that provokes those sort of deep thoughts is is an interesting one for me. And just the idea yeah. that it was such a personal movie for John Hughes and it was in the fact it was a John Hughes movie. It was it's just all like it, I'm so glad I got to watch it again. As I yeah. always say, I'm glad I got to watch this again. Me too. And I I also I, I mean, on top of everything you just said, I feel like I also have a different appreciation for how John Hughes wrote this movie. So he he doesn't write it in that typical way that a lot of people in the 80s tended to write about their marriages or any marriage, which is like, I'm cool, my wife's a bitch. Like he really made himself, even though he made himself the study of this film, he did it in a way that felt very real, where he was like, yeah, I was kind of a child <laughs> in the beginning of our marriage and I didn't act, I didn't act right. And I just really appreciated that he, the love that grew from, you know, their, from their early days was able to be transformed and they were able to, it seems like they were able to kind of really grow together, which a lot of couples don't get to do anymore, or it's become harder to do. And I just, I don't know, I just really appreciated that he made himself, that he centered himself in the movie, but without making himself the hero. Right. Yep. Because Nancy... Nancy sounds pretty heroic to me. And I think she she sounded like a pretty cool lady. And um, I was just happy to learn more about her. Yes, me the, too. You know, the, the impetus for this film, which again, deserves fresh eyes. I do not think this was John Hughes's worst movie by far. To me, it's one of his best. Yes, I uh, am so glad you picked it. I think in terms of the song, I think you're right. It is such a huge part of this movie. And now knowing that it was written for the film and, you know, it was kind of like played on set. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great song that's being, that's honestly just woven into the fabric of this film. So good choice for this theme. Thanks. And good I like theme. This theme. Yes. I too. like this theme. We should do it again. We should definitely do it again. Cause I guarantee you, I do have more modern <laughs> choices. Like I, my first thought will not be far and away. Enya, you're gonna pick the Teenage M- Mutant Ninja Turtles next. You're yes. like, oh yeah, <laughs> I love that pizza rat. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of like, oh my god, we could go down a road of these like so like <laughs> movie songs. My God, like Adam, you've already mentioned the Adams Family rap. For God's sake, it's a whole road. Oh, good. But hey, listen, Amazing. we got to talk about Enya and Kate Bush on the same episode. Are you kidding? Look, it's my dream. Talk about modern witchery inspired by our <laughs> witch foremothers, our ethereal rock bitches. <laughs> we love some ethereal rock bitches. Well, next week, we don't have a new episode, but we do have a bonus episode coming out on Thursday, the 21st. So you can listen to that in our stead. Mm. And then the week after that, for April 26th, we have another new banger of an episode. 
you want to tell them what the movies will be? Oh, I definitely will. Woo. Okay. So the movies for our next full length episode coming out in a couple weeks. Notes on a scandal from 2006 and Chuck and Buck from 2000. I mean, truly try to guess the theme. Try. Just try. And hey, listen, if you just want to email us, talk about pretty much anything, we're at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. Please send us questions for the bonus episodes. We love hearing stories about your movie experiences, about your parents sending you to camp and you accidentally watched Body of Evidence with your friends. <laughs> like, we want to hear it all. So email us. And we also have a P.O. box now, so you can send us stuff if you have letters you want to send us in person fine we'll take them um and don't forget that you can find us on our socials at i saw pod on instagram and twitter and we've got merch i saw what you did merch that is in the exactly right shop at exactly right media.com and definitely send us your question send us an email if you have a particular song that you associate with a specific movie like, I think we would love to hear what those are as well. Oh, my God. I would love to hear that. Yes. Well, Danielle, as always, a total fucking pleasure to be here with you doing this podcast. I love every second of it. Me too. Great picks. I love movies. I love songs. I love movies. I love <laughs> bare knuckle boxing. <laughs> you really love bare knuckle boxing all of a sudden and I'm into it. <laughs> Of course you're into it. Hello. I just want to I just want to see you like eating a, a chicken breast with one hand and punching someone in the face with the other. Maybe I'll be into slap wall boxing. Maybe that'll do <laughs> Maybe I'll do something like that for you. <laughs> On that note. Bye. 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 <laughs>been an exactly right production produced and mixed by casey o'brien our theme song is by tom Bryfogle. artwork by garrett ross our executive producers are georgia hartstark karen kilgareth and danielle kramer you can follow us on instagram and twitter at i saw pod and you can email us at i saw what you did pod at gmail listen follow and leave us a review on amazon music apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free plus bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.